You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a great new episode from Public Access America. Ahead of the show, I just wanted to let you know that you could find us on Spotify. You could subscribe to us on the great new podcast app radio public you can find us on stitcher smart radio of course and please rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts that's how people hear about us is your reviews put us in a different sphere i want to say thank you for all the responses we've had on the great shows we've been doing lately i want you to follow us on twitter at public access pod where we have a great stream everything from interesting engineering to we are oversight as well as promoting a bunch of independent podcasts that we support so thank you very much for that i want to say you can also find these great shows like denton county collective adam has a beard and the florida action podcast which are all produced and distributed by public access america you can find those on spotify and apple podcasts and twitter you can find all four of them on instagram which is really cool we have some great stuff the content is meant to be one conversation split over four shows so i hope you get excited about it the the uh the idea is great. We love it. We have a great group of people that are a part of the show. Thank you to all of them. I can't even go into it, but our hosts, Adam and Sean and, and Ryan and Joe and Ben. Ben has now joined the Denton County Collective, Collective up front, which is really great. He's been doing our videos in the background, but our fourth wall is down, you know, so I love that. Hey, Sierra, she's really great. And then we have a great crew building here at Public Access in America, which is the flagship page. All of these are local podcasts meant to spark discussions in local areas, and then they are brought here to our national show where we can have the conversations. Check out our debate on guns. It was a pretty interesting debate, and everybody involved loved that. And we're looking for our next uh, our next debate, our next network series debate theme you know what are we going to talk about so many things and so we're so excited thank you for listening to public access america here's my favorite theme song and then we're going to start talking with jeffrey Assalamu alaikum, everyone what starts here changes the world well i've got to admit i kind of like it what starts here changes the world we are the music makers and we are the dreamers of dreams the average american will meet 10 thousand people in their lifetime i was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language i did not speak don't think but if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people and another 10 we did not know each other and we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us to every politician who is taking donations from the nra i believed them when they said they were sleeping on concrete floors i believe them children being separated from their parents in front of an American flag. I believe them. And you can change the entire population of the world, eight billion people. And if you're gonna figure out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change, change their, their lives, lives forever. Well, it didn't happen, and here we are. I believe these women. You're wrong. I feel extremely lucky to, to be here with all of you. 
fighting for justice, for equality, for the right for us to equally exist in this country. There were 329 uprisings, 257 cities within four and a half years. And neither Martin nor Fannie had any control over that. We might be headed to the promised land of speaking the truth and fighting our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves. But their children were saved, and their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much. And may God bless us. And may God bless us. There we go. All right, welcome back to Public Access America. We're here with Jeffrey. Just uh, We didn't even have any agenda items to discuss. I just thought that would be... We are uh, we record a week ahead of time, so this is going to be coming out uh, next Friday. I don't even know the dates, you know? I'm so confused by everything. <laughs> I feel like anybody anymore doesn't know what the date is. Like, I know it's a work day when my phone alarm goes off. There you go. Right. <laughs> I mean, we did have we had we touched on a lot this week from the president's taxes to him catching coronavirus to uh to debates, you know, and it all seemed to get lost and and we're going to be oh, like two weeks out from all of that. I can't even imagine what's going to happen next. You know, and if 2020 has taught us anything, it's just don't because you're going to be wildly wrong and probably upset and disappointed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. So what do you think is going on overall? Is there anything you wanted to talk about? I actually want to get back to voting because nice, this too. really this really is something that, you know, there's a lot of different ways in which people around the world vote mm. or, you know, don't. And we have, I would say, one of the more unique, unique democracies in the, in the world simply because, well, you know, our, our system was set up because of the governing of other systems in the past. And, you know, when we say that, you know, our democracy is the best experiment in the world, I, I do truly believe that. And don't, you know, and like any experiment, it's flawed. Don't get me wrong. It's got its problems. Yeah. But, you know, when I look at other places around the world, like, you know, you know, China, where, you know, you get to vote, but you only get one party to vote for. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. OK, sure. I mean, and, and, and I do criticize our elections as it is because it's, you know, you get to vote, but really there's only one of two parties that's going to win. And, you know, the difference being there is, is that, the government has made it in such a way that in other countries, you don't get the choice of what candidates you get to vote for, what party you get to vote for. You know, here you do. You can write in if you really want, you know, and every state allows a different set of candidates on the ballot. Like, for example, I was looking through our our uh, primary uh, or our ballot uh, uh, pamphlet and you know, there's parties like, you know, the Democratic Socialist Party, the, the actual Socialist Party, right. um, you know, where he, so here in Washington, it's like, you know, we're really presenting, you know, all of your options. I mean, reality is, is, is that, you know, only one of the two are going to win, but mm -hmm. there's like seven different parties that were on the, on the, on, in the pamphlet on who you could choose. Okay. And which one caught your eye? Well, let's see. Um, for different reasons, Culp caught my eye because he put in no information, no qualifications. <laughs> really? Yep. I don't know if it was just uh, an issue that like he didn't get he didn't get his stuff in or what, or he just wanted to say f the system. I mean, whatever. Hmm. Interesting. We interviewed him on Adam Has a Beard a while back. Yep. Yep. Uh, that debate between Culp and Inslee was last night and I have yet to listen to it. So interesting. Um, unfortunately, I think it's going to be much like the rest of the debates. It's just going to be hot trash and an affront to what is actually debate. Right. Um, 
but this is, yeah, this isn't debate. That's no, we do more debating than they did. It, and really, you know, like we had talked about before, it's about making points, you know, making counterpoints, rebuttals, mm. and redirects. And basically, when it's just you trying to yell over the other other candidate, that just that's not debate. That's just being an asshole. And I don't care what party it is. Right. That's, you know. In, in a lot of ways, you know, people are like, oh, well, he got to talk the most. He won. Well, to me, it's it's not if you're talking the most, you won. If I can paint you into a corner where I keep having to ha- you keep having to, you know, talk and talk and talk to get yourself out. I've won. But right. but not everybody sees it that way. Some people see it as there is, um, you know, there's an air of, you know, getting the screen time. People are seeing you, you know, and and, in a media sense, you win. In an airtime sense, you win if you're spending more time. And, uh, you know. Unless unless your extra time is um, on TV with a fly on your head and a skull on your face, then suddenly it's not great. Then the memes win. And the memes have been fantastic. No, I agree. I, I relate it to like the first debate with Trump and uh, Biden. I related it to a bullfight to where Trump is just running back and forth at Biden and Biden is just swiping him away and swiping him away until he runs into a wall, right? And Trump never really, they never, every time he was about to hit the wall, somebody, including Joe, like stopped him. Except for one minute, you know, then Trump was running right at Joe in the wall and Trump was like, I'm going to do it. And, Biden fucking made me proud and he was like proud boys and he was like bam right into the wall and I was like thanks Joe you know what you're doing (laughs) right you know and and I had to laugh because you know uh uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to Ben Shapiro at all or not um I know of him I've heard him on talk shows and stuff yeah you know, one of the things that he said is, is that, uh, you know, after the debate and some polls, you know, Biden moved into a double digit lead. And, and he said, you know, if Trump loses by double digits, that's that's not on voting, you know, on the voting issues. That's not on anybody but Trump and the GOP. Agreed. Agreed. And, uh, and I agree with that fully. You know, you, you pretty much like I tell people a lot of the times when it comes down to it, you know, all you got to field is one decent candidate, not even like, not even like a rock star, just someone who at least has their shit somewhat together. And the other yeah. party will usually, you know, shove their foot in their mouth and, and do it in for them. Romney, I think, I think Romney did it in 2012 rather fa- fantastically when he mm. did the, I don't care about 47% of voters. They're never right. going to vote for me. Right. It's like, you know, the moment he did that, it was like, well, <sighs> Bye. Later. Yeah. And then, and then, of course, you know, Clinton did it with the basket of deplorables. Yes, it stuck with her like fucking glue, you know. Yep, and and you still see people quote that to this day. I mean, the stuff from the stuff from Romney has faded from a lot of people's memories, but Mm. that doesn't. It hasn't faded from mine or or my other personal favorite binders full of women. Oh Jesus! (laughs) I just heard that in a clip. I had no idea what you were talking about, and then I just heard it in uh, some debates. You know, they were doing clips of good debates, and I heard binders full of women, and I was like, Ah, Jeffrey. (laughs) I have this weird steel trap of a memory that just there's some things I just can't forget. And that was one of the more memorable ones. And, mm-hmm. and mainly because, you know, there were so many memes about it. Yeah. No, I love but, that. But, you know, when, when you're focused on being your party's candidate rather than America's candidate, that's how you end up shoving your foot in your mouth and saying something stupid that gets, you know, that riles up the other side to vote, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that you know after Obama's first term, there was enough, there was enough question about whether or not you know Obama would survive the second election compared to what he did in two thousand eight. You know, two thousand eight was a mandate. Twenty twelve was uh, uh, just a win. Yeah, and that's because nobody really paid attention to politics. I want to mm-hmm. keep. I keep telling people like there was a groups that didn't like Obama, but nobody followed politics like this. The Republicans were kind of, but nobody was even listening to the, I mean, the the Benghazi story got up, Fast and Furious got out there Mm -hmm. in certain areas, but not on CNN every day or Fox every day or 
people were complacent ever since Clinton, you know what I mean? And we just went to sleep for a while and we woke up with Trump on both sides of the aisle. Absolutely. It's, I mean, unfortunately, like we shut the bet on that one hard. And, and as a data analyst, one of the things that I spent a lot of time looking at is, you know, how do you lose a state like Michigan? And I mean, the Democratic Party did a great job of doing it. And and mm-hmm. I, there's nobody to blame but the Democrats on that one. Um, yeah. You know, Trump spent his time, he spent a good amount of time in Michigan courting a bunch of disaffected voters who were truly hurting from the loss of their jobs. The economy had really given them the shaft. And, yeah. you know, you had all of those, you had all those union jobs that were, you know, just, they were straight up out of work. And, you know, what should have been a Democratic slam dunk, they just flew right over it. And And I think think part of it is this phrase I have called KISS, K-Y-S-S, keep your sentences simple. And I learned that from podcasting. And I do not think the Democrats can all do that. And I think when you want somebody's attention quick, you have to talk to them as if you would talk to a dog. If you want somebody to sit because it's an emergency, you have to go sit. You can't go, hey, so here's the thing, you know, you want them to sit. And so I I don't think Biden does that very well. But I think Trump is very effective at just three words, six syllables, getting his point across. Oh, no, he's he he's good at that. And unfortunately, the, the words usually are nonsensical. And, and mm-hmm. but no, it's. I mean, when you think about it, the average American reading comprehension is about an eighth grade level. So unfortunately, you know, there's that one uh, start, I think it was newsroom where, you know, Jeff Daniels goes off. If Democrats are so goddamn smart, then why do they lose so goddamn often? Yeah, yeah, that's why. That's why. That's why. I mean, there's a point that you hit where what you start doing glasses over eyeballs. And of course I'm guilty of it being, you know, being someone who has this education and trying Mm. to like my, the way that my brain understand things is not the way that anybody else's brain understands something. And I have to like roll it back and go, okay, Mm -hmm. how do I, you know, how do I explain the simpler? And even in my program, they taught us, it's like, if you can't explain it to your, your kid, you're going to struggle to explain it to anybody else because not everybody is not everybody is going to have the same understanding as you do. So you have to figure out how to, how to bring it down, not dumb it down, just bring it down. So that way anybody you talk to can understand what it is that you do. Yeah. In fact, nobody understands it like you, you know, it's like uh, when you go over to your friend's house and he's already on level 10 of, of uh, a game and you're like, well, I can't even, I can't even get into this until I watch at least three levels. You know what I mean? I gotta, I gotta get myself up to date and stuff. Right. And, and so, you know, it, it's, it's always interesting, like, especially like, you know, Debbie's a very smart person, but Debbie struggles to explain what it is that you know, I went to school for. And I don't, I don't blame her because how do you, how do you easily explain really quickly that, Oh yeah, I do mathematical analysis of probabilities and how your business, you know, how your business decisions are affecting your profitability. Yeah. You know, most people after about the third word that they just heard is, is that they just glass over reality is, and and really what all I do is I see how you're spending your money and I see how well that works. (laughs) That's awesome. And I you think know. it's funny that that's the first question always asked when you don't know somebody, Hey, how you doing? What do you do? And 90% of the time, the answer is not known. It's, you don't understand the job title. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so now you have to take that and expand it out to, you know, a country with an average comprehension at an eighth grade level. And it's like, mm-hmm. I get why it is so frustrating for me to watch debates because what I see being yelled at on the TV screen is just absolutely mind numbing. I'm like, you aren't saying anything. That's right. 
And then it's like, oh, that's by design. And, you know, I don't want to get too in the weeds, but the questions weren't, weren't debate questions. They were, I mean, are you going to accept the results of the election? You know what I mean? Come on. It should be more like, hey, people need health care. What's your plan for health care? What's your plan for health care? And it doesn't seem they don't get the platform high enough. You know, well, I mean? and I think I think I think the the two the issue is is that people don't get to they don't they don't set it up to make people explain their platform. Right. Like like they 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 lob it in such a way that all they have to do is explain why the the opposing party's platform is wrong, and it's that's not what it should be about. It's like right. I don't you know you need to explain what how your platform works. Because if you don't know how your platform works, then why do I want to vote for you on that platform? That's right. I don't let you know. Let me let let the other candidate tell me about their platform, and I'm going to look at the tune and decide which one better aligns with me. I don't right. care who you how you think theirs is wrong. I want to hear what yours actually is. And so I think Joe Biden saying, "Tell me more," would have helped when Donald Trump said, "We have a plan." I think Joe Biden, instead of starting to devolve the argument, should have just stopped everything and said, tell me more about that. You know, mm-hmm. let him let your opponent dig a hole, because the more he says, the more you have to argue with, you know. Exactly. Exactly. And that's and that's one of the, the great things about, you know, a real debate is, is that, you know, talking doesn't necessarily save your ass. Sometimes it digs right. a deeper hole. <laughs> right. And there's this it's. You start calm because you can tell that you've hit somebody like a boxer by how they devolve in their conversation. When I heard Mike Pence say radical China or Joe Biden loves China and started to devolve into these these rhetoric terms, I realized that Kamala Harris was winning and he was getting nervous. And so Mm -hmm. Trump starting at level 10 just told me, he was nervous as fuck about that. Not that he was calm and, and sure of himself. And so Pence came off really calm and really, really articulate. But what he said couldn't stand up to anything, you know? Well, and, and once again, you know, like we've seen, we've seen the, we've seen the rise of buzzwords. Mm-hmm. Radical. Like, like, I people keep you know the right keeps calling Joe Biden the radical left. Yeah. Joe Biden is if Joe Biden is the radical left then you know I don't want to know how much further left it can get. Yeah, the reality right. is is that Joe Biden is probably just left of center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if if he's even that. And honestly, if you strip away, if you never heard a word from Donald Trump and could just base everything on his policies and actions, he's a fairly moderate Republican. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, and I think that's why you saw, why you see some of his successes. He wasn't like this crazy tea party or like a lot of people want to believe he's a pretty moderate Republican. And, you know, I, I always, I, I do give credit where credit is due, you know, Trump addressing forced technology transfers with, you know, with China is something that needed to be done. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that, you know, once again, this goes back to, you know, there are two, there are, there's always more than one way to do this. And the idea that, you know, we've made it easier for companies to do business with China has come back to bite us in the ass. Oh, sure. Because, you know, simply by leveraging China, we've allowed them to become the number two global superpower. Yeah, we gave them all of our money just to make stuff cheaply, you know? Yeah. That's that's on us as a government, as consumers. Yeah. You know, that that didn't need to be like that, but here we are. No. You and know, I, and go ahead. I was gonna say, and and for all of and for all of our problems with communists, supposedly, we don't have any problem leveraging them to make our shit. <laughs> that's right. And but see, the problem with it is the people don't understand there is a want to do that, but when the when the World Bank deems your tariffs illegal then you're stepping outside of the the way things are taken care of and now now this stuff is illegal now now you're on the wrong footing you know we had a case 
that China was taking advantage of the world. And if we could have gotten the world together to, to say that instead of isolating ourselves and saying, no, we're getting screwed. No, everybody's getting screwed by China. They're building roads in, in Africa just mm. to curry favor with the towns, just to say, hey, we built you a, a road. Now you owe us. And, you know, now uh, China is, they're huge in the World Health Organization because we bagged out. Who's going to fill that void? China is, you know. Mm. Russia, Russia is militarily filling the voids. Well, diplomatically, China is filling our voids. And that's the way liquids work, you know. Right. And, and, uh, and unfortunately, people aren't seeing that, you know. People are seeing, oh, well, we're not spending money on all these worthless organizations and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, but we've also lost a lot of world influence. Be and, you know, a communist country has stepped into that fold. Right. It's like, you know, if you ever claim to be anti-communist, but then, you know, you're allowing communist China to take up its, you know, take up that seat on what was once your mantle. It's not really about communism then, is it? No, it's about economy and economies aren't, uh, they don't have a political view. You know what I mean? Politi uh, money flows the way money flows. And that, that in itself is, you know, I mean, Trump bases everything on the stock market. What did I do? I put a hundred dollars in the stock market. You know what I mean? Why not? Right. Right. You know, and, and, you know, that was one thing that he addressed that needed to be done there are other things that I wish the Re Republicans would have addressed, but you, they're never going to address it. And unfortunately, when the Democrats finally do decide to address it, they're not going to do a very good job of doing it. Well, nobody me, is. You know, when I look at, you know, I got into this argument here over the last couple of weeks regarding the tax code, for example. Mm. You know, I had I had someone telling, you know, as we found out, Trump only paid 750 bucks in taxes. And I'm sitting here just laughing, you know, and there's a moral argument to pay taxes. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, so is there really a moral argument here? You know, is there really? Because if you've ever gone to any type of an accountant to minimize the amount of taxes you pay, it's not about morals. That's so right. let's stop pretending. I know you want to make it a talking point. That's great what you need to do then is you need to change the tax code. And yep. to me, the answer is very simple. And a lot of people hate the idea of it, but you know, when you think about, you know, cause there's been this meme going around that, you know, the, the, ta the marginal tax rate back in the fifties was 91%. And, you Ooh. know, unfortunately, you know, there's this great, there's a great thing about Republicans versus Democrats in terms of what they're willing to believe. The right's willing to believe conspiracy theories more often than fact. The left is willing to believe anything that presents as science, right. not whether or not it actually is science. And this is one of those things where the left is like, oh, well, people were paying 91% in taxes. No, they weren't. Mm -mm. No, they were not. Like, there were 267 people who fell into the 81% tax bracket. But then by the time they actually paid their taxes, it was more like they paid 55%, which is, you know, it's, you know, quite a bit yeah. higher than what they pay now, mm -hmm. but it's still a lot. That's still a lot. And, but it's not 81% or 91%. So, mm -hmm. you know, basically what you have to figure out is how do you make an effective tax rate? And this whole this whole trying to, you know, put in as much as you can in order to get a refund or trying to skim as little as you can in order to have to pay in as little is just an absolute nightmare. And really what it boils down to is there's a very simple way to do it. Mm -hmm. One that's one that is actually equitable. And basically you just have to put in a flat tax rate and the standard deduction is the poverty line period and a story. I love it. Boom. Because, because and, and it doesn't matter if you're married or single, you know, it's the same regardless. You know, the poverty line is the poverty line. If you're making less than the poverty line, then there you go. You get a refund. You, don't, you get you up don't to pay, the poverty line. You don't pay taxes if you are if you are at or below the poverty line. And then everything that you do is above and beyond is going to be taxed at a certain rate. I love it. Yeah. And, and there are, there's no, there are no additional deductions. There are no additional write-offs. You know, it's, 
the idea of simplifying the tax code sounds absolutely lovely and amazing, but there are too many people that get to take advantage of it and pay zero dollars in taxes. Mm-hmm. So I keep saying that there's a left and there's a right, and both of them write antitrust laws, but neither one has to follow them. Rules for thee. Yeah, that's right. You and know. That's, that's an issue. But I love that idea. And I want to say that Donald Trump actually ran on changing the tax code in 2016, saying he knew what he was taking advantage of. Of course, he didn't pay taxes. So this isn't news. You know, right. I mean, he didn't pay taxes. He wants to change the code because he knows the, the things to fix and that we would get tons of money from that. You know what I mean? And, 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 and to the Republicans credit, they did change the tax code a bit. I mean, you, I, in theory did pay less taxes than I would have under the previous tax code. Interesting. It's still a mess. It's still not equitable. No, well, they gave a huge tax break and I want people to understand that these like government stimuluses and the trillions of dollars that the government is saying they need to reboost everything. You have to understand that that's just a payday loan for a country from a country. It's like you going to uh, get a payday loan and paying 81% on interest on that shit. So are we. And Trump's plan here, I think Trump's plan here, I'm going to go conspiracy for a minute, is to say China brought this virus. They're going to pay. We're going to default on everything. And I think that is going to cause an issue. <laughs> so, so funny you should bring that up. Um, so within, uh, within uh, international law, there actually is precedent for uh, if a country causes harm to another country in a financial, you know, a financially, uh, mm-hmm. in a measurable sense, you, if you had any debt with that country, you could actually write that debt off and not pay it. There is precedent for that. And so what I've told people is, is that all the debt that we owe China for everything that we've done, basically all any stimulus work that we have done because of the coronavirus, we actually have legal precedent to be able to say whatever debt we owe you is now canceled. Interesting. Well, you're, and good, I at, think, you're good at analytics because at a certain point it was our fault you know what I mean? It getting here might have been China's fault, but it staying here certainly wasn't. Absolutely, and then that's and that's the other problem there too is is that you know, and I think that's where you know you look at what debt we have; it's canceled, but the amount of damage that it's done, well, that's going to be on us. We're never going to China. We could build China all we want, and they'll never pay us a cent on it. Germany did. Germany right. built China for the coronavirus. Hmm, interesting. And of course, that's China fuming. And if you look at what Germany's doing, you know, like you'd kind of said a little bit earlier, um, Germany has now kind of taken a similar stance that we have because they finally realized that China's been screwing everybody and screwing them too. So, you know, this is one of those cases where it's like, I, you know, I don't like the guy, but I got to give credit where credit's due. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Do you think that's why he's trying to make the coronavirus thing bigger? is so that we can wipe more debt off? Do you think that's how he sees it? I, well, the thing, like, the thing about our debt to China is it's not as much as what, the, it's not as much as what we've spent in stimuluses. Um, sure. We just print the pay. We just print it. It's a money tree that we don't have access to, but there is a money tree in America. Right. And so really, you know, what it boils down to there is, is that I think that, you know, he is making the case to cancel our debts to China. And I think that he has a good enough reason to, because, you know, in, in the end, China did try to obfuscate what was happening and, and it cost everybody hugely. But like you said, you know, there's a certain point in which, what we're experiencing is entirely on us. Yeah. And I, there's two beliefs. I think there's the Trump belief of you fucked me. I'm, I'm pulling back. And then there's like the U S way that we've always done things. Whereas you fucked us. We're going to swamp you with people. You know what I mean? We're going to swamp you with lawyers and, and ambassadors. And we're going to tell you how you did it wrong. And we're going to get the world to believe us because that's what Mm. we do. And so we, we, 
we got screwed, but we, we're not part of the World Health Organization anymore. So we can't even go into the files and be like, hey, what happened? You know what I mean? We have no diplomatic uh, relations with China anymore, you know? And so we can't even, like, get the, the, the global community on our side to say we need to go in there. You know what I mean? And that's and and that is just Trump's lack of knowledge on how to be a politician that's yeah. caused that you know, and uh, because really that making our case on the world level of how China mishandled this thing would have been far better for all of us, and it would have absolutely hurt the Chinese. Yeah, but Trump being Trump, rather than make it about you know, the law and the ambassadors and the work on the world stage mm-hmm. is making it about himself. And that turns off everybody. Yeah. And so now all of these other countries are having to come to this on their own rather than had we had just been the world leader like we had been, we could have dealt with this a lot differently. Exactly. And that's the problem with isolationism. And it comes around, like, it seems to come around every 50, 80 years, this version of Trump. If you go keep going back in time, you keep finding these people that are like isolation, race, and race, race. I don't know if they're racist, but they use the race baiting. They use those, that playbook. You know what I mean? Like somebody said, I don't know if Trump is racist, but the racists think he's racist, you know? Exactly. You know, it's, I don't know that Trump is actually a, I don't know that he's actually a racist. I mean, I would say that he's, he's not a racist in the, you know, straight out, you know, dropping words that shouldn't be dropped. Right. But I do think that he is a racist in the more, you know, systemic side of things of, you know, using, using systems as they are in order to gain advantage. Interesting. You know, people use this word. Maybe you can explain it. And then I'm going to run to the bathroom. Systemic racism. I think it's a key phrase people are using, but they're putting these two words together. And maybe while I'm gone, you can explain technically what that means. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's start with the word racism in, in the truly um, dictionary sense of the word. You know, it is to define your, it is to define yourself as superior to any other race and to hate slash be afraid of any other race based simply upon the color of their skin. It is, it's simple in its application. It's everybody wants to say everything is racist, but our country's understanding of racism is based solely upon the mechanics of our own version of racism. So really when we look at racism, it's, you know, white people believing and acting and doing things in such a way that corner people of color. You know, we tried to wipe out native Americans. We've enslaved black populations. If you look at what's happening to the, to the Mexican uh, population of our country, we simply we simply have taken the position of trying to uh, make America white again or something. I don't know. That's about the best that I got. But, but now when you look at the actual, you know, when you look at what systemic racism is, this is, you know, we've kind of touched on it without actually saying what it is. It is the devices that have been put in place to ensure power remains with white people. You know, when you think about some of the more very open and heinous versions, you think of apartheid, apartheid governments. Mm. You know, uh, you think of places like South Africa or Rhodesia when Rhodesia was on the map. Yeah, nobody thinks about Rhodesia, dude. No. Exactly. Well, no, people don't think about it anymore, but, but really when you look at it, that's the definition of systemic racism is, is that they put in methods and mm-hmm. controls in place to ensure white people had power that the rest of the population couldn't attain, that they were always going to be outclassed and overruled. And so when you think of systemic racism, like there's this very overt version of apartheid government. Now, when you look at some of the more, nuanced and um, 
harder to spot versions. It's things that are simply, you know, simply like, uh, for example, that, you know, your credit score, can, your, your what loan you get can be determined based on a zip code and what, what is going on within that zip code. Do you have more people of color? Mm. Is there, you know, you might say that, oh, it's based on the fact that there's more theft in that zip code. But the reality is, is that maybe there's more people of color in that zip code, <laughs> right. you know? It's not that you have any evidence that there necessarily that there's more theft, and and unfortunately there have been some companies that have gotten busted for doing that. Yeah, and that's redlining, right? Yeah. So yeah. by so by taking you know more nuanced approaches, you start to see how the system is made, you know, how the system is made to affect white people differently than it is anybody else right. within our country. But in terms of racism. Racism is not a uniquely American problem. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think what a lot of people get confused about or, you know, get up on their soapboxes about is, is you know, you, you hear constantly, you know, at least in this country, only white people can be racist. Wow. I can't believe we're going to talk about this. I love this. It's to me, it's a rough one because yeah, the answer is. is, is the answer is, is that if you only talk to white people, then yes, only white people can be racist. But having a few friends of color, they're like, yeah, no, <laughs> that's yeah. definitely not the truth. It's like your, you know, your racism has more of a platform than mine. <laughs> right. And your racism is very much more of a problem than mine. Exactly. But like, I have a, I have a friend that talks about, you know, racism in other parts of the world. Like, you know, uh, how people, you know, how some Asians that live in the cities refer to some Asians that live, you know, in more uh, rural, rural, they, you know, straight up call them jungle Asians. They have yeah. a different term for it, but it's racism exists across the globe in various forms. Oh yeah, I think where I think where some people get in trouble is is that they, you know, the idea that only white people can be racist is is it's not true it's if you look at the definition it is it is really just the hatred of someone based off of skin color or or noticeable characteristics it is not you know anybody can be racist against anybody else it happens it exists it it has to our systemic racism on the other hand is yes. one that affects people of color. And I think that's the differentiation that has to be made. Good. Thank you for getting back to that. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's a lever that's pulled. It's a, it's a jaywalking law that is a felony for a black person because that's the way the judge is ruling, but not for a white person, you know? It's, 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 it's laws that, you know, somehow, you know, mandatory minimums, I would say, are absolutely racist because guess Cash what? Bail. I, because the thing about mandatory minimums is, is when they get applied, guess who they're getting applied against? People who have, you know, the quote-unquote jaywalking, you know, ticket. Mm-hmm. the people who've been busted for simple drug possession, the person who has, you know, an assault under their belt because they got into a street fight, and suddenly now you've got this person that's got to spend ten years in prison because they have all of these other factors, right. and it's like. Mm, okay, I see what's happening here. You have to, right? Mm-hmm. And because they see it, and they've been—that's what they say. Is we've been saying this for four hundred years. You know, you're not listening. Why should we tell you again? You know, right? And I don't blame—I don't blame them for talking themselves till they're blue in the face, and then finally being like, you know what? You haven't heard a thing I've said yet. Right. But I do think, I think, wait, three quick things. I think there is a form of racism. I call Uncle Tom racism, where it's just, you just look, you, oh, bless your heart type thing. You know what I mean? Oh, bless Mm. your heart. You're black. You know, you just, Mm. you just can't. But then there's this new racism I learned from my friend. And I say it in this way. If a, if a black man shoots me, I'm racist. But if two black men save me, I'm not racist. I love black people. It's this learned racism from experience because when when you yep. look at a book, you're looking at the picture and saying, "Hmm, should I should I check it out further?" But you don't know anything about it, so your mind is filling in all of those empty spots with preconceived notions and 
uh, past experiences until you get to know something and you can check that out and replace it with actual fact of the person. You're just going basically by, so if I got shot by a black person and I see another black person, I'm going to relate that to the guy that shot me until I get to know him and get rid of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's a tough one, right? It's a, it's a tough one, but you know, one of the things that at least we can start to do, and I think in some places they're doing better jobs of it is, you know, figuring out what, what systemic racism looks like. And, and really you got to start at the community level and, you know, it's, you know, I really wish that there was more willingness to sit down with the communities to talk about this sort of stuff, because this stuff is hard, you know, people don't like change as it is. And especially when they don't know how that change is going to affect them. If you want to see that on a local level, you listen to Florida action podcast, because there is nowhere more segregated and racist than Tallahassee. We are the number one segregated city in the country. It just, that blows my mind. It Mm -hmm. it really does. It's the Um, state capital. And we are, we're always talking about class privilege and, you know, the, the misunderstanding that, yes, you have everybody in one spot so that you can just treat that spot and not the people, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, un- unfortunate that there are still places like that that exist mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I've had the pleasure of meeting a lot of different people out there and, you know, there's a lot of awesome and amazing people out there. And to me, the idea of, simply hating someone based on the color of their skin is just so foreign to me. Yeah, me too. But, you know, it's also been really hard for me to realize how I have benefited from the systemic racism Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, has been coded into place. And I, and I say that because, you know, growing up in Montana, you know, one of the whitest States in the country, it's like, you know, I don't, you don't, once going back to what I said before, when you don't see the problem, it's hard to say something's broken when you yeah. haven't seen it broken. Right. You know, so looking at what I've seen in major cities and learning what I know now, it's like, okay, here's where it's broken. Here's where it's broken. Here's where it's broken. And unfortunately there's not a lot of people that are introspective enough or, objective enough to say "Mm, yes there's a problem here and it's it's you when you finally get some good leadership that is willing to address the problem then you start to see some greater changes you know luckily you know some of the companies i've been a part of have you know done everything that they can to you know address some of that stuff at a company perspective you know you can't you're never going to be able to wipe out individual racism. It's never going to happen. There's always going to be somebody who hates someone else just for something visual. And that really is unfortunate. But when it comes to the system, you know, those of us who have power have a duty to listen to others to find out how it's broken. Yeah. And we also have to be willing to change what is broken when, when it is brought to our attention, no matter how hard it is. Yeah. At least discuss it, open a discuss discussion in a forum and bring the community into, you know, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I like that. So now, but here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that now, since 2016 imagine this now because it might blow people's minds and it's an it's a thought i've had racism isn't isn't as much color as it is zip code as it is um resources it's more about have and have not and Mm -hmm. so i am treated by the government systemically the same way that a black man with my with equal resources is treated Mm -hmm. and i don't think the black man with the with no resources understands that i'm treated the same way as him now in 2016 2020 if we both went to court 
I would be just as fucked as him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I have nothing. And 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 really, you know, when you look at when you look at it from a financial standpoint, you know, the poor always get worked over. Mm-hmm. It's just that you know one of the things that you know as a data analyst you got to look at. There are more people of color living under the poverty line than there are, you know, oh, yeah. percentage-wise than white people. And, exactly. And you know, many I would say successfully argue that's by design. Yeah, and it sucks to be poor. It sucks to be poor and black. It sucks to be poor black and a woman. It sucks to be poor black and a woman and disabled. You know what I mean? It can go yeah. on and on. No, oh, yeah, no. You can you can go down a horrible rabbit hole of how much it sucks but that doesn't change what what is happening until you get you know involved at the community level and until you start electing leaders that are really going to actually change things you know there is there is no reason why some of this stuff should still be in existence in 2020 there really isn't i agree I mean, we can definitely have, we definitely can do things a lot differently. And, you know, whether, you know, boils down to two schools of thought, do we need to spell it out with more government or do we need, you know, a better understanding and application of the laws that currently exist? Mm. You know, one of the things that Ruth Bader Ginsburg did was she didn't argue about how, you know, something was adversely affecting women. She argued about how it could adversely affect a man. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's how things got changed. And maybe someone needs to follow that, that particular line, you know, when it comes to people of color, it's, I, I hate to say it because, you know, it worked once before. It, you know, I don't see why it wouldn't work again. It's, you know, don't argue about how it's negatively affecting black people or, or indigenous populations. Argue about how it could affect white people. And maybe enough white people would be like, oh, my God, we've got to change that. We've got to fix it. Meanwhile, the rest of us were like, I've been saying this for a while. This has got to get fixed. This is well, it's no, it's know your audience. It's it's marketing one hundred and one. You need to sell to the people that are paying attention. If I told you that we spend billions of dollars on a criminal justice system that inherently is built to negatively affect black people's lives and if we could fix that we wouldn't have to spend those billions of dollars if we if we brought that community up to an equal level we wouldn't be spending money on poor people you know what i mean then you would see it as something that could be possibly fixed Mm -hmm. because it benefits you Mm -hmm. absolutely and it just is really frustrating that you know you have to put it into that perspective about how it could affect somebody else rather than you know, just pointing out the obvious, this is how it's broken. Yeah. There's some it's, selfish fucks out there. Yeah, there really, mean? there really is. And, and I don't even like the fact that I just had to say that. Like it makes, it skeeves me out. Yeah. But I know that if I can't, with some people, if I can't, if I can't make them see how it affects someone else, I can definitely make them see how it'll screw them. For sure. I always tell people, um, about Adam has a beard that um, I have to go to where they are because a Democrat in Washington state is a conservative anywhere else in the country. And I think they're leaning towards conservatism and I get, I get the aspects of that, but Trump isn't conservatism, but I have to go to them and explain to them, you know, yes, keep your guns. Nobody wants to take your guns. Well, let's start there and let's work back to what is safe and reasonable. You know what I mean? Whereas in Denton County Collective, they're telling me things like committed suicide is a, isn't the phrase to use. And they're coming at me from the left. And I thought I was as far left as you could go. And so <laughs> it's, it's about meeting people where they are. I wouldn't go to an apple grower and say, here's my commercial about oranges. You know what I mean? So right. if you need to talk to white people about racism, then you need to. And I do think that white people if they want to know what to do about BLM and systemic racism, you need to talk to other white people, but leave black people alone. Don't constantly ask them if something is racist. You know, they are not your litany test for racism. 
other white people are. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and, and really, you know, it's, it's about your, it's about your sound, your sounding board too, yeah. you know, things we've seen the rise of with social media is just this crazy sounding board of you know everybody spouting off all their things you have everybody on your thread agreeing with you obviously mm-hmm. case closed and it's like it's like i don't know why you're posting this stuff here other than to give yourself a pat on the back for something all of your friends already knew as well yeah you know, I like the I, ones where I get into a fight with someone over something and I have to argue with them because oh, then I, I know that. that I've got, I've got a wide variety of opinion and, you know, yeah. I had one where you and Duffy were both coming at me from two different angles and I was like, I fucking love this. You know, what was it? Raising a, a racist child is like creating a, an, a mentally disabled yeah. Person, you know, and I know that hit, I know those were keywords that hit a lot of people the wrong way, but I wanted people to see racism in another way. Like you could prevent it from the start, you know, right. you, you don't have to, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to create a leggy vine. You could create something of substance, you know, but right. Debbie was right there. She had me, if she had gone one more sentence, she would, have. she would have had me and I would have been like, Oh, you're right. <laughs> Right. No. And, and, and that's the glory of having people with a wide variety of, of mm-hmm. opinions and beliefs is, is that your litmus test is really other people around you. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, that's, I think the real struggle that you've seen in the modern era is, is that rather than surround ourselves with a wide variety of people, we've shut ourselves into only a specific group. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's, I, I can't say that it's necessarily a negative because everybody has their reasons for surrounding themselves with the people that they do. You know, sure. some people need to feel safe about who they are and who they talk to. And I get it. I'm not mm. one of those people. No. I am, I am someone who's like, you know what? I will surround myself with a bunch of people. And unless you do something that just shows me that there's no humanity left in you, Mm-hmm then you and I are going to fight and, and we're going to go rounds yep. because I've, you know, I've got some friends that are pretty, you know, far right. And I, I am constantly hammering on them, you know, for, you know, their support of Donald Trump. And it's and like, bravo for, to them for taking it and still being your friend. Right. You know, it's, and, and, and pe- I hammer on people for supporting Biden too. It's, yeah. you know, I don't like either party, but, unfortunately i've had to i've had to put it out there party over country you know is not the way to go it isn't the way to go but figuring that out a month before the most consequential election in our time is not the time november 4th that is the time to start building a coalition to take on the system right and so it's like you know being someone who tends to fall more on the libertarian spectrum it's really frustrating because as much as I would love to support a libertarian candidate, I can't right now. Of course not. Nope. It's to me, it's, it's if there, you know, the libertarian party has some serious work that has to be done. Like there's some great stuff within the platform that they can definitely build on and Mm -hmm. potentially do better. But unfortunately, it, it just always seems like the libertarian side of things just they don't they they don't really build that well. And suddenly, right before election is when you really start to hear about them. It's like that's too late. That is too late. So, that's what I'm saying about all of this stuff. People people are saying they're it's called Demzik, and Sanders supporters want to leave the Democratic Party and not vote for Joe Biden to prove what a coalition they are. And I'm, I'm crying. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm crying. I'm saying, please, not now. After the election, look, after the election, you can hammer Joe Biden all you fucking want. And you will have reason to if he is president. You can fucking hammer him all you want like you did Trump. Please, but not beforehand. Adam did something where he posted, he on, on last week, he kept saying, pedophile Joe Biden, pedophile Joe Biden. And I was like, I want to see that proof, by the way. And he's like, well, there's multiple videos. And I was like, I want to see those. 
And the next day I posted, I'm waiting for those videos. And he posted them and I went through them and I explained to him why that's not right. Look, a pedophile is one of the worst things you can call somebody. And that's just not a catchphrase. You don't do that to people. You know what I mean? He might be creepy. He might be creepy. He might be old school touchy feely. And I get why that's creepy. And that can be a hundred percent creepy, but that is not pedophilic. And I would never call Donald Trump a pedophile because I don't know any proof of it. And he hasn't been convicted. There hasn't been charges brought. So I cannot believe that either one of them is a pedophile. And I wish people would stop using that word because it's one of the worst things I can imagine. And pedophiles can consider that one of the worst things to be. So I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. There's plenty of things we can say about Joe Biden and Donald Trump that are true and are equally as hurtful on policy. We can discuss this stuff. We don't need to go to the lowest level when we have all of these things right there at ground zero to work on. And we can always, and and that's the other thing is we can talk about real accusations that have been levied against both Biden and Trump in terms of sexual assault. That's definitely something that we can talk about. Of course. You know, and, and to me, I think that, you know, it's a real disservice to not talk about it. It's just that, you know, unfortunately, here we sit in this time frame right now where our choices are between two people that have had serious sexual assault allegations levied against them. Okay. Well, like I said, I would love to see that information. I don't want to be supporting somebody that is a sexual abuser. I just haven't seen anything that reached that level. Um, the, the Tara Reid stuff, it was one of his former staffers for Biden. Um, Yeah, I remember that. I, I also know that she has, um, some Russian ties. So I, I, Oh yeah, yeah. Well, she's got, well, she's got a lot of that. That whole thing has a lot of issues, and I mean, and, and Biden even did. I would say probably the more class acting. He said, "You know, open up the records, and if there's something there, by all means, then it needs to be made public." Yeah. And then, of course, then what did the government do? They were like, "Oh no, we can't just make that stuff open and available." It's like, you work for the people. Yes, you can. <laughs> yes, it, it's it's all open. You shouldn't be able to close it. <laughs> Right. Exactly. And, and it just, nothing ever came of it. And, yeah. and, and I'm not sure if that's, I'm not sure if that's because there's nothing there or because the government decided that they're just, you know, they weren't going to open that up. And, you know, Tara Reid isn't like filing a, I, I, you know, like there's no court cases, there's no official yeah. acts. I can cry all day. Like Adam calling Biden a pedophile. You can say that about a human, but at some point you need to, the evidence. Otherwise you're just somebody screaming conspiracy theories. Yeah. You know and, what and, I mean? Exactly. And, and Tara Reid pointed out where the evidence was. Joe Biden, I'd say did the right thing by saying, you know, Hey, if that, if that evidence or report is there, then it needs to be made public. Okay. Whether, you know, he doesn't have any control over whether or not that gets opened up because that's not held by him. It's held by the government. And so whether the government decides to ever open that up, that's that's on them. Well, we now we have if Biden becomes president, thing one to hammer him on. Get that stuff out. You're now the president. You can declassify anything. Let's see the Tara Reid materials. How about that? And then, and then we can start calling him all these names. (laughs) Absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, you know, unfortunately that's, I would say that for the next election, dear Lord, can we please not have somebody who has sexual assaults levied against them? Please, please, please. Like this is old. Yeah. Tired of this. I'm women everywhere. Tired of this. I'm pretty sure. And you know, Mitch McConnell is a polio survivor, and I said this in another podcast. How fucking old are the people that are representing us? You know, like, remember Tiny Tim from A Christmas Story? That was polio. Mitch McConnell survived that. You know how old you have to be to survive polio? <laughs> right. That's, the, that's crazy. That's crazy. And so we need to, I think, I think you need to be a certain age to be in, gov- in government, but I think you need to retire at a certain age. You know what I mean? I think term limits is by far one of the best things that we need to establish. Because, but age you know, limits, age limits. 
I can't do that because age is a protected class. Whatever. See, whatever. whatever. You, can't, you can't do that. That's, you know, we, we said age is a protected class. You can't do that. So I love where this conversation's going. I'm just sorry. It's at the absolute end of the hour that we had. <laughs> right. Right. But, but you know, that's, I think that's one of why, why our system is so unique is, is that, you know, you don't necessarily have to force someone out because Okay, seven-year-old. What does that mean for our Supreme Court justices? Does that mean that they have to be? They are, you know, their lifetime appointments are now forcing them to retire. It's a can of worms that once you open, it will go all the way down, whether you want it to or not. And that means that that means that if you ended up with another Donald Trump and you have six Supreme Court justices turned seventy-five. Mm-hmm. suddenly you've got someone like Donald Trump that is naming six conservative Supreme Court justices. Remember, this does not work in your favor the time that you want it to. Not all the time. You're right. All right. And they can be they can be voted out, so they can be any age they want. There you go. But we need to start researching these candidates better. You know, we need to... You're right. We need more accountability, more transparency, and more public access America. Thanks for being here, Jeffrey. All right, Jason. Thank you much. You have a great day. I'll see you next week. And uh, all right. Bye. <laughs> Bye. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not Stitcher Smart Radio app, Potable, and Spotify. Yes, we can. Public Access America. History in the making. Making history in the making. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.